prayed for the church earlier in chapter 3 and verse 5. And now he prays for the church once again. And I was really challenged by that as I considered Paul's persistency in prayer for the church as indicative of his love for the church, but not just indicative of his love for the church, but really indicative of the fact that he understood the situation that the church had found themselves in. And we're going to find that, that the letter really begins or really ends as it begins, it really ends as it begins. How does it begin? Well, in chapter 1, verse 2, he said, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, thinking back over the last year and a half, we've covered a lot of ground since we first encountered that verse. Back, I suppose, in late October or maybe November. We, we learned of the fiery judgment awaiting the wicked. We we learned of the revelation of Antichrist. We've encountered all kinds of doctrine from, from election to eschatology. We've been instructed about the practical holiness of work. But we're really, as we come to the end of this letter, we're really coming back to where it all began. And where is that? Well, look with me at verse 16 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. He began with, may the grace uh, and peace of God be yours. And now he says, may the peace and grace of God be yours. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. And then look at verse 18. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Again, began with grace and peace and now he closes with peace and grace. But this morning we're going to find that there's a a very specific focus that Paul has as he closes out this letter. When we began the letter, he really focused in on the attribute of God in terms of his grace. And now we find that he's focusing in on this thing of peace. That's the primary emphasis. You see it there in verse 16, don't you? He mentions peace, the word peace, twice. He's focusing in on peace. And, and as I thought about that, I thought, you know, there doesn't seem to be a more suitable theme for us this morning, more practical emphasis for us this morning. We are living in the midst of complete and utter chaos, aren't we? Everywhere we look, there's uncertainty and uproar, there's tumult and turmoil, there's disarray and discord. Now my question is, why would Paul find it necessary to not just close this letter, because these are not just throwaway words. Remember when we started this letter, I, I said, don't, don't just ignore what's, what begins and ignore what ends. I mean, after all, I, I wouldn't want the pilot of an airplane to say, you know what, I'm really good at everything in the middle. It's just the beginning and the end that I'm not so good at. Right? Th these things have, ha, are important. And so let's not just throw away these terms. Let's not just throw away these, these words. Why would Paul bring this up as he does at this point? Why emphasize peace? The Lord of peace give you peace. Well, we found out last week that there had been internal tension and internal friction within the church. That's a re real reality, isn't it? That is a present experience for many within the church today. The present experience of tension and friction within the church. And what does Paul pray for? He prays for peace. I, I think this is his not so subtle way of calling them 
to forsake the chaos of disharmony in the church, to forsake the chaos of, of, of disunity in the church. But not only did the, the internal tension exist in that church, Remember, it was because people were refusing to work and they were relying on other people to support them. And that really will cause friction in, in a church. Imagine what would happen here if, if maybe 20 or 30% of everybody just said, you know what, no longer am I going to work. You guys support me. That would last all of about, you know, 10 minutes before there would be uproar in our church. Imagine what that would be like here. And then you know what it was like in Thessalonica. But not only did they have that internal tension, there were doctrinal disputes in the church. This had bred a spirit of uncertainty and fear among the believers because they weren't really sure, were they in the day of the Lord? Did they miss the rapture of the church? And to top it all off, there is the presence of the constant uh, hostility of persecution that would give way to the continual experience of suffering. And so it's in the midst of this situation that the Apostle Paul, like a good pastor, prays for the church. And what does he pray for? He prays for peace. Not only peace among the members, but peace, listen, not only peace among the members, but listen, peace inside the members of the church. Peace among the brothers and sisters, but peace in the midst of trying and hard circumstances. And before I go on, I, I want to know, what is peace? Perhaps we could say peace is, I don't know how you would define it, peace is inner tranquility. It's something that's often imitated but never replicated. John MacArthur said it this way, he said, peace is the attitude of the heart and mind that calmly, confidently believes and thus knows that all is well between the soul and God. I like that. He goes on and he says, it's the confidence that everything is right between myself and God and that he is lovingly in control of my life in time and eternity. eternity. You see, peace really has nothing to do with, with, with what anybody says to you. Peace has nothing to do with what someone does to you. Peace is not based on circumstances in your life. I, I was struggling to come up with my own definition of peace this week, but here's my best shot. I think peace is a settledness. It, it, it's a deep-seated contentment. Peace is a joyful inner tranquility that is unaffected by what transpires outside. Peace is a calm that's afforded by an understanding that everything is in, in control. I don't know how else to, to define it. And while we might struggle to define it, we can really describe it, can't we? It was peace that, that, that overwhelmed Horatio Spafford. His only son, you remember, in 1870 died of scarlet fever. The next year saw his investment in real estate burned to the ground. And then in 1873, he was devastated by the news that all four of his daughters had died in a shipwreck in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. When he was en route then to, to go to Europe to meet up with his wife who had survived the shipwreck, 
He was shown the spot right in the middle of the Atlantic where his daughters had perished. And with tears streaming down his face, he picked up his pen and began to record his feelings. And from a heart that was filled with the Holy Spirit, God's gracious gift of deep inner peace prompted him to write the words we love to sing. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, what? It is well, it is well with my soul. That's peace. That's peace. It is the calm knowledge that all is well with our soul. Peace is not the absence of trouble. Peace is not the absence of sorrow. Peace is a settledness in the midst of trouble. It is a confidence in the darkness of sorrow. That's peace. Nicholas Ridley knew peace in 1555. When he was sentenced to be burned at the stake in England because of his witness for Christ, on the night before Ridley's execution, his brother had loved him so much and he he offered to remain with him in the prison cell just to be there to assist him to provide comfort. And Ridley, Ridley refused. He said this, I intend, God willing, to go to bed and to sleep quietly tonight as quietly as I ever did. He could rest physically because he rested in the strength of the everlasting arms of the Lord. Isn't that what we read in the book of Isaiah? You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. And friends, that's, that's what we need today. Our world knows little of peace. But to be honest, I'm not really concerned for our world today. But I am concerned for our church. I'm concerned for our little church here in the middle of what used to be a cornfield so many years ago. I'm thinking about the settledness of your soul today. Maybe I'm talking to someone, you've, you've come here and you don't have a settledness. You don't have calmness of soul. But rather, you're, you're rather agitated in your soul. Especially when you consider eternal things. I remember talking to someone here and I was inviting him to come to church. And he said, come to church? He said, every time I go to your church, he said, I end up feeling worse when I leave than when I got there. I said, that's great. That's exactly what we want to happen. Maybe I'm talking to someone today, you're watching online, and you, you've, you've, you've been staying, staying there on the fringes, you've just been hanging out, but your soul is agitated. Your soul is agitated, you're struggling, your soul is weary and worn because you have no peace. Look, we might have a struggle defining what peace is, but we certainly know when we ain't got it. This peace of which Paul so for the next little while, I'd like to take some time from this text and just wring it like a sponge full of water and try to get every last ounce of moisture out of it as we learn about genuine peace this morning. I want to direct your attention to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, and I want to take time to consider this issue of peace under four headings. 
four headings. We'll look first at peace imparted. Peace imparted. And then we'll look at peace imitated. Peace imparted, then peace imitated. Then we'll look at peace interrupted. Peace imparted, imitated, interrupted, and then peace increased. See, it's my hope that in doing this, I believe that that we'll all come to understand exactly where true peace comes from and how we can cultivate it in our church and in our lives. Look now again at our text, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 16. Now may the Lord of peace Himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It's the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. I want to look first of all at this heading and we'll just kind of uh, use these as, as pegs to hang our thoughts on. I want to look at this heading we call Peace Imparted. And, and under this heading, I want to look primarily at where peace is to be found. Where peace is to be found. First of all, he says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. I want, to, want you to know, first of all, that, that peace is, is something that is divinely founded. Last week we found that there was this internal stress and strain experienced within the church. And Paul prays as a pastor, he prays, he longs for the Lord of peace to grant peace in every time and in every possible way. Now the question is, what peace? And what I notice about this text is that he has something very specific in mind. In other words, when he writes this, now it doesn't come through in our English translation, but it's very clear in the original language. He doesn't just say peace, but he says the peace. In other words, he has something very specific in mind. This is the specific peace. And what we'll find is that this is referring to the peace of God. Or I want to say the peace of Yahweh. The peace, that's his name, Yahweh God. Just generally speaking, now I'm just speaking generally first. We're at least speaking here of peace as a characteristic or attribute of God Himself. And you will notice throughout Scripture that there is a very Trinitarian emphasis on this attribute of God. Seldom do we think of peace as an attribute of God, but that's exactly what the Scriptures teach. We see God the Father referred to as God of peace. Peace. May the God of peace be with you all, or the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. He is the God of love and peace. The God of peace, he says, will be with you. The God of peace will sanctify you completely. That's just a little summary of what the Bible says about the Trinitarian aspect of peace, particularly the peace of God the Father. 
But then as we read the Scriptures, we not only read of the peace of God the Father, we read of the peace of God the Son. Here in 2 Thessalonians, and we'll see in a moment, as well as in Ephesians chapter 2 and Colossians chapter 1, even in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, we find the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, referred to as the source of peace. Remember Isaiah gave him the name Prince of what? Peace. And then of course the Holy Spirit Romans chapter 14, verse 17, and Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, speaks of the Spirit as the source of peace, refers to, to the fruit of the Spirit, which is peace. There is, this, there is this Trinitarian aspect to this issue of peace. Peace is, what I'm saying, divinely founded. Genuine peace is something that is unique to Yahweh. It is only found within the Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each member of the Trinity is gloriously full of peace. Peace imparted, we're saying peace imparted, first of all, is divinely founded. But then what Paul says here is it is not only divinely founded, but it is personally granted. Because now what Paul does is he focuses on the Lord. The peace of the Lord. And that, that phrase throughout the Scripture Peace of the Lord is used, at least in the Old Testament, to refer generally to God. But Paul, and that's a very Jewish way of speaking, a very Jewish way of greeting someone or, or giving a benediction. But Paul takes that Jewish benediction and says, not, when he says peace of the Lord or the Lord of peace, he is referring specifically to the second person of the Godhead, the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. He's done that throughout this letter. Every time He uses the word Lord in this letter, it is a specific reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord of peace Himself give you the peace. What peace? The peace that comes directly from the Lord of peace Himself. Now it's very personal here. It's very personal. He says, in fact, that, that, that pronoun himself is actually placed in the emphatic position, which is emphasizing something. It's emphasizing that the source of this peace comes directly from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. This peace, which is a unique characteristic, a unique attribute of God, Yahweh God. Listen, this peace is uniquely mediated specifically in and through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The poet said, peace, perfect peace in this dark world of sin. The blood of Jesus whispers peace within. You see what Paul says here? The Lord of peace. The one who is called the Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9, 6, would be the very one to supply and to distribute that which is uniquely found as an attribute of Yahweh to His people. Peace is an attribute of Yahweh. Peace is an attribute of Yahweh God, which He graciously gives from Himself as a gift. It is a divinely bestowed gift that is granted in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what we learn here. The only place you find peace, pure peace, genuine peace, is in the character of God. And what Paul is saying here, he's asking that the Lord himself would mediate that peace on and in his people. 
Jesus said it this way in John 14, 27. Peace I live with you, leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. We read this morning, John 16, 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Peace with God, my friends. Peace with God has been purchased for every believer and it is a product of being justified by faith. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that's where this peace really begins for us. It begins with having peace with God. Because listen, if you are still in a position of being in enmity with God, if you and God are still enemies as you all are in your natural state, if you and God are still enemies, it doesn't matter what you have or where you are, you will never experience the peace of God. If you don't have peace with God, you will never experience the peace of God of God. And we're talking about that peace which comes from Jesus Christ, which he calls my peace. What is, what is the peace of Christ? What is my peace? Well, I, I would say it's the peace of Christ which allowed him to face the ongoing threats of a hostile world. It's the peace of Christ which was evidenced in the most, midst of the most sorrowful times in his earthly life in the midst of the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the peace of Christ which was expressed as he hung naked and nailed to a cross, a Roman cross, when he said, Father, forgive them. That's peace. And when Jesus says, my peace, that's what he's referring to. That's the peace which belongs to Christ himself. And Paul is praying that such peace would be manifestly found within the believers there at Thessalonica. So peace imparted, first of all, you know that it is divinely uh, founded. It's only found in the Godhead, but it is personally uh, uh, gifted, personally bestowed in the person and work of Jesus Christ and presently experienced. You see what he says? May the Lord of peace himself, now look at this. This is, is, I've never seen this kind of construction before. Give you peace at all times in every way. Paul's praying that the peace of God, the uniquely divine attribute of God, would be mediated through Christ to his church. He is asking that there will be love and unity among the brethren, that within the church there would be a settled calm, and that despite outward circumstances, that the blessed assurance of peace with God would govern and oversee our attitude and action when? At all times. That's like saying, no matter what is going on around you, that this peace would be presently experienced at all times. In every season. And in every way. That, that's to pray that peace would be presently experienced in a multitude of ways. That there will be a calm, settled assurance in the, time, in the midst of times of sorrow in every way. 
that there would be a genuine loving forgiveness toward brethren in the church. We pray that we would, we would that the peace of, of, of the Lord, that the Lord of peace would give us His peace, mediate His peace to us. We're praying that that, that, that would happen in every way, that, that we would have a calm, settled assurance no matter what's going on around us, that we would, one of the ways that peace is mediated is that there would show up in, in genuine forgiveness to one another, a willing and submissiveness toward obeying the Lord's commands in every way. Peace is imparted. It comes directly from God, from, from the center of His heart, if you will. From the center of His being. It is unique. The only place you'll find peace is in the center of God. And the amazing thing is that the Lord Jesus Christ, can I say it this way, takes some of that peace and ministers it to His people. Peace imparted. But I want to show you secondly, peace imitated. And I'm not going to take long with this, but at least I don't think I will. But you need to understand that, as I said at the beginning, peace is often imitated, but it's never replicated. In other words, as we've said, peace is only found in the Godhead and is personally administrated through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means you can't find it anywhere else. But that doesn't stop people from trying. Let me say it this way. You cannot find peace through a drug or in a drink. Yet our world, and sadly most often the church, is inundated with such efforts to find some tranquility in a drug or drink. You, you can't get this peace through physical exercise. You can't get this peace through religious experience. You... you you try to practice the Hindu practice of worship called yoga and you say there as much as you can to, to, to empty your mind as, of everything that you can. You can't find peace in that. You don't get it by taking a nap. It's, look, take a nap today, it's fine, but you're not going to get peace. You're going to wake up to the same stuff. You're not going to get it through a pill. Peace can't be bought. Peace can't be traded. It's not available to the highest bidder. You're not going to find peace in relationship. You're trying to find peace to soothe your soul, to get some salve for your weary soul. And so you keep piling up relationship and friend lists and likes on social media and you don't get peace. You don't have it naturally. Peace is not something that's found within you. In fact, peace is not something that's found in the world. Isaiah 57, 20 says, The wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Thomas Watson said it this way. He's a Puritan. He said, Peace flows from sanctification, but... They, being unregenerate, he's speaking of the wicked, have nothing to do with peace. They may have truce, but they have no peace. God may forbear the wicked a while and stop the roaring of his cannon, but though there be truce, yet there is no peace. The, the wicked may have something which looks like peace, 
but it is not. They may be fearless and stupid, but there is a great difference between being between a stupefied conscience and a pacified conscience. This is the devil's peace. He rocks men in the cradle of security. He cries, peace, peace, when men are on the precipice of hell. The seeming peace of a sinner, the seeming peace a sinner has is not from the knowledge of his happiness, but from the ignorance of his danger. The seeming peace a sinner has is not from the knowledge of his happiness, but from the ignorance of his danger. Peace is often imitated, but never replicated. You always have to go to the next thing. But peace is founded only deep within the heart, if I can say it this way, the heart of God, and is mediated through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Peace imparted, peace imitated, peace interrupted. You need to understand that when you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you experience something, and that is you experience the peace with God. You, you at one time were at enmity with God, but through the blood of His cross, Jesus has made us reconciled to God. He's taken enemies and reconciled them, making us one, making us part of the family of God, adopting us into the, to the family of God. And you experience that, what is, what is called peace with God. And when you have the peace with God, then as you begin to, to be sanctified, as God begins to conform you to the image of Christ, you begin to show forth the, the image of Christ, you begin to be filled with that, with that peace. And you need to understand something. That as with any other spiritual fruit in your life, that peace can be interrupted. You notice Paul says, the Lord be with you all. Now, normally, I would take that and say, that's a senseless prayer because we already know He's with us all the time. We have His promise. He's always with us. You don't have to doubt that. Why pray the Lord be with you? Well, we know we're never far from Him. We know He's always with us, yet there's a sense in our daily experience when we feel far from Him, don't we? We know He's always with us, but isn't there, aren't there times in our lives where we feel far from Him? There's a sense in which the peace we enjoy is interrupted. And it's interrupted when we take our eyes off Christ. Like Peter in the midst, standing in the midst of a stormy sea, we take our eyes off of Christ and we begin to sink. We, we, we begin to entertain sin in our lives. Again, to quote Thomas Watson, he said, if you would have peace, then make war with sin. If you want to have peace, then make war with sin. Is, has peace been interrupted? Maybe you came in here today and you say, I know I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I have peace with God because that was settled on the cross. But there have been times in my life, most recently, times of, of compromise and times of sin and times of apathy and times of fear where I am feeling far from that. I am not experiencing the daily sense of calm assurance and rest in Him because I've been entertaining this 
spirit of unbelief, this, 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 this experience of sin in one way or another. Maybe you've been in the midst of compromise in your own life. And peace, that peace has been interrupted. And, and it's not, there's no tranquility, but there's a storm in your heart. Peace is interrupted. Peace imparted, peace imitated, peace interrupted. And then peace increased. I want to close by showing you how the present experience of peace is cultivated or increased. First, I want to show you maybe through a veil and then I want to clear it up. You, you notice what he says, the Lord be with you all. Then I, then I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Now you know why he says that, right? He says it because there was the the false letters that were going about. People were claiming to be Paul and writing for him. And he, he used an amanuensis. Remember, a secretary, he would dictate most often his letters. But in this case, he grabs the pen and, and, and makes his own signature, which probably has something to do with this statement, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. This is the way I close my letters. None of those false teachers are going to talk about grace in Christ. But he, he, he assures them of the genuineness of the writing of this letter. How is peace increased? Listen to this. Just listen to Psalm 119. And I, I, I just found this. It's always been in my Bible. I'm pretty sure of it. But I just found it this week. Psalm 119 165. Great peace have those who love your law. Great peace have those who love your law. Maybe even more clearly, Paul says in the book of Colossians chapter 3, these words, verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Can I just stop there for a moment? Colossians 3.15 And let the peace of, God, of Christ rule in your hearts. I don't want to take this too simply or make it out to be something it's not. But the peace of Christ. Let the peace of Christ. That's a command. There's an imperative used in this phrase that Paul gives that is a command. This command, we express it to let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. There, there's something that you must do. There is a command you must obey. There's a responsibility you must take. And the responsibility is to, is to allow, if you will, the peace of Christ to be ruler to be king, to be the authority in your life. It's a command. There's to be a cultivation of this peace. The peace that comes from God and is mediated through the person of Christ, you are to take personal responsibility for its rule in your heart. Question, how? Those who love your law have peace, David says in Psalm 119, 165. 
He, he, he goes on in Colossians 3, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you, what? Richly, abundantly, overflowing. How? Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart and, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. That, simply stated, friends, is how you cultivate peace. You let the Word of Christ, you, or you let the peace of Christ rule in your heart by letting the Word of Christ richly fill you. The Word of Christ dwelling in you to the point that it is overflowing. You, you read the Bible and you memorize the Bible and you meditate on the Bible. That, by the way, to meditate means it, it has the picture of, of someone who goes around murmuring. You ever talk, you ever see somebody, they just walk around talking to themselves and you kind of look at them, you go, that's weird. But that's exactly what you're supposed to be. When it, talking, remembering the word, the word is this and this and this. Meditating on it, living it, talking about it, sitting under it, delighting in it, singing it, and doing all that you do with thanks. In other words, you cultivate, you, you increase peace by recognizing that you are one who is under a divine compulsion and a divine protection such that no matter what, your soul is okay. And you only get there by the Word dwelling in you richly. It, it's got to be some fertile soil in your soul into which the, the Word can be implanted and brings forth fruit like a tree planted by rivers of water, bringing forth fruit in each season. You're not going to bring forth all fruit there, there is to, to, to have, but as seasons go by, seasons in your life, that little fruit will pop up and show itself and manifest, and you'll say, that's a result of the peace of Christ. I wonder... If you know that peace. During the French War, a, a train was carrying dispatches to the headquarters. It was, that train was compelled to go over 60 miles over very rough track. It was compelled to reach its destination within one hour. The engineer was the bearer of those dispatches. His wife and child happened to be on the coach along with a few other passengers. Every moment was, was harrowing. Every moment threatened to pitch the train over the ledge or over a bridge as it rolled from side to side and the speed was keeping up, leaping at times almost in the air, rushing past stations. The, the few passengers who were inside often held their breath and cried out with terror as they sped along. But there was one little girl in that coach who knew nothing of their fears, who knew nothing of the danger, happy as a bird, she laughed aloud and played with her toys. And when she was asked if she was afraid, her response was this, why would I be afraid? My father, the engineer. A little while later, the train came to a stop. The engineer came from his position walking back through the coach, and the little girl saw him and ran into her arms, ran into his arms, happy and peaceful as she ever was. 
We, we are in the midst of chaos in our world. And, and from time to time, that chaos can slip into the church, perhaps showing up in, in friction and tension among one another. And I'm not saying that's here right now. Praise the Lord. I don't see it, but I want you to be aware of it. And, and I wonder if there's something we can do to cultivate and increase peace within our church but that will only be as we cultivate and increase peace within our hearts. Have you come here today with peace? Is, is everything all right? Or are you worn and weary? Maybe you, you've come here and you know that you don't have peace because you don't know for sure that if you were to die today, you'd be with God in heaven. And you're worn and weary. I want to remind you that Jesus says, Come, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'll give you peace. If you're here today and you've never had that calm, settled assurance that everything's okay, would you today lay down your distrust, lay down your faithlessness, lay down your fearfulness, at the feet of the cross and see one hanging there full of peace and submit your life to Him. Confess your sin. Just lay it out before Him. Tell Him all about it. Become a believer today. That's what I'm telling you. And maybe you're here and you say, yeah, that's settled. But, you know, Joe, as you've been talking, I, I've been living in the midst of compromise for these last weeks or months. I've been living in the midst of apathy. And my life is just showing it. It's topsy-turvy. And may, maybe, maybe it's not even showing it. Maybe you look good to everyone else, but you know on the inside, man, you are eat up. You are eat up. Because, because there's no, the, the, the peace, yeah, you have peace with God, but you don't have the peace of God. It seems like you're far from Him. It's been interrupted. Praise the Lord that though peace has been interrupted, it can be on the increase again. Just simply coming today and confessing that. Admitting it. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Will you please not walk out of this place today forfeiting the gracious bestowal of peace that is seated in and found deep in the heart of God, administrated through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ as we partake of the Spirit's guidance in the Word. That's our prayer. So what about it? Can you say everything's okay with your soul today? It's all okay. I'm right. If not, right where you're seated today, do business between you and God through the person of Jesus Christ. Confess your sin and in your heart, just begin to believe. Believe He is the Son of God Believe that He died in your place, that He suffered the penalty for your sin, that He suffered and bled and died and was buried, and that three days later He rose again. Just throw, cast off 
fear, cast off faithlessness, cast out doubt, and say, by God's grace, I'm taking that to the bank and become a believer today. Or if you're here, you say, yeah, that's been settled long ago, but you spoke right to my heart today. God spoke right to my heart today. What is it? Would you bow together with me in prayer?